Hello and welcome. We are the Ladies of Strange. I'm Ashley. I'm Tiffany. And I'm Rebecca. Thank you for joining us each week as we discuss the history, mystery, and theory of all things questionable, odd, and eerie. Hey, party people. Hi, guys. I was going to say, hey, ladies, but we have definitely not been on the phone for almost two hours already. It's fine. Looking at TikToks. We, Look, we got on at 8.30. It's not even 10 yet, so not even close to two hours. Hour and a half? Hour and a not half. Even. I'm good. <laughs> We've spent a lot of time on TikTok, and I may have to download the app. It, we, okay. <laughs> not all of it was been on TikTok, but that's neither here nor there. Y'all want to hear a story? Yes, please. How many people die? <laughs> uh, nine. <laughs> oh, my God. You okay. <laughs> Everyone got your bingo cards out. Everyone dies. Cool. <laughs> got it stamped. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So on the evening of January 23rd, 1959, a group of nine Russian students from the Euro. Oh, wait. Hmm. Pause. Uh, <laughs> forgiveness in advance for pronunciations. <laughs> I'm going. I. 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 Yes. <laughs> Russia. <laughs> We are not even two minutes in and you've already given up. I'm not giving up. I've read through them multiple times and I'm like, yes, yeah. It's a lot of Russian names and places. So (laughs) good luck. I have links. You can follow along. All right. On the evening of January 23rd, 1959, a group of nine Russian students from the Euro Polytechnic University boarded a train from it started off strong. Uh-huh. Verdlovsk headed to their base for a hiking excursion in the Ural Mountains where they would attempt to reach Mount Ortenrutendert. <laughs> Damn I'm it. I'm so proud of you. Despite the butchered pronunciations, I know where this is going. Do you? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. The group was read by, led by Igor Dyatlov, a 23-year-old radio engineering student. So, since you guys have caught on that we're going to be talking about the Dyatlov Pass, uh, have you heard the latest news about this case? Oh, oh! I read something on IFL Science that made me happy about this, but um, I'm assuming you're going to discuss it. So, well, fuck me. Is this the one? Is this the one where Frozen supposedly it! solved it? Yes. Okay. Spoilers. <laughs> Beep that out, please. I did give spoilers. <laughs> I appreciate that. OMG I'm sorry, science. but you said nine people died and there's snow. <laughs> <laughs> it's obvious which one you're doing. Technically, she hasn't mentioned the snow yet. She just said yeah. Russia. It's Russia. <laughs> In January, but yeah. <laughs> Fine. I don't feel so bad about my bad pronunciations now because everybody knows the case anyway. <laughs> no, but I mean, you guess. You're going to bring a beautiful new spin to it. Sure. Each member of the group was an experienced grade two hiker with ski tour experience and would be receiving their grade three certification upon their return from this excursion, which at the time was the highest certification available in the Soviet Union. What does that mean? It basically just means they have different levels of how far out they can go and what they're cap- what conditions they're capable of facing. So like an Eagle Scout Plus? Yes. Eagle Scout Premium. 
I was thinking more along the lines of like when you go skydiving, most of the time you have to skydive with somebody strapped to you a certain number of times before you can go out on your own. And it's not just Eagle Scouts because it was, I believe, seven men and two women. Either way, this is a Russian hiking excursion. They don't have scouts. They have bears. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) The trip was scheduled to take three weeks, and Igor had promised to send a message to his sports club as soon as the group arrived to their base around February 12th. When the 12th passed and no message had been received, there was no immediate reaction as delays of a few days were common with excursions, especially during this time of year. On February 20th, however, the traveler's relatives demanded a rescue operation and the head of the institute sent the first rescue group, which consisted of volunteer students and teachers. You know, I feel like there's a couple rules we need to abide by in life. One is you don't invade Russia in winter. The second is you don't hike Russia in winter. Isn't it always winter? I was about to say, is there another option? Yes, not hiking. Yeah. Yeah? I was about to say, I'm just going to not hike and then we won't have this problem. I'll, I'll stay at the base of the mountain with a tour group to make sure I don't get lost. Uh, Later, the army and militia forces became involved and planes and helicopters were ordered to join the operation because they weren't having any luck searching on foot. On February 26th, the searchers found the group's abandoned and badly damaged tent on Kotlasikal, or as the locals call it, Death Mountain. Oh, that's not ominous. Okay, pro tip, don't hike anywhere with the word death Death. in it. Just a thought. Just putting that out there. I mean, it wouldn't be the word death because it would be in Russian. Fair. Okay, valid. Rebecca, your theory's off already. It would still mean death. <laughs> That's how languages work. You said what? called, with not the- means. Boom. With the name death, not with something that means death. Again, just don't hike and you'll be <laughs> fine. I like hiking. I like hiking our teeny tiny little Georgia, not even mountains, like boulders that are sticking out of the ground. All right. The campsite baffled the search party. Mikhail Chavrin, the student who found the tent, said, quote, The tent was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty and all the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. Investigators said the tent had been cut open from the inside and nine sets of footprints left by people wearing only socks, single shoes, or even barefoot could be followed leading down the edge leading down to the edge of the nearby woods. On the opposite side of the pass, 1.5 kilometers, which is just under a mile to the north. Thank you. After about 1,600 feet, the tracks were covered with snow, so they weren't able to follow many further. And at the forest edge under a large pine tree, the searchers found the visible remains of what was a small fire. This is a really sad case. I mean, everyone died in the cold. I mean, that's normal for you, but... So they found the remains of what appeared to be a small fire. There were the first two bodies, those of Krivonshenko and Doreshenko, shoeless and dressed in only their underwear. The branches on the tree were broken about five meters up, suggesting that one of them had climbed up to look for something, perhaps the camp, or to gather kindling for the fire. Between the pine and the camp, the searchers found three more corpses, that of Dyatlov, Kolmogorova, and Slobodan, who had died in poses suggesting they were attempting to return to the tent. So, quick question. How many people have they found so far? So far, they have found five. Okay. 
Just making sure I didn't miss any previously. Got it. Mm -mm. So it took two months to find the remaining four bodies. They were finally found on May 4th under four meters, which is 13 feet of snow in a ravine. And they were about 250 feet further into the woods from the tree where the first two bodies were found. Um, Three of the four were dressed better than others. And there were signs that some clothing of the ones who had died first had been removed and put on the bodies of the ones that were still surviving. Dubanina was wearing Krivoshinsko's burned torn trousers and her left foot and shin were wrapped in a torn jacket. A medical examination found no injuries that may have led to their death and it was initially concluded that they had all died of hypothermia. That makes sense. You know, Russian mountain. Right. Russian mountain in January, randomly wandering out into the open. And you have mentioned snow now, so we know that's there. Yes. There was, there was snow? <laughs> Just a skosh. I think 13 feet at one point. Oh, Jesus. That, that can't be all that much. Not no. in Russia. So they didn't find any injuries that had led to their death. However, many of them did have injuries that were located in the autopsy. Slobodin had a small crack in his skull, but it was not thought to be the fatal wound. Three of the hikers had what could have been fatal injuries. Brignoles, I'm sure that's really wrong, had major skull damage. Dabina and Zolotrov had major chest fractures, but they were two found the furthest away from the campsite. Oh. So they're not sure when those injuries would have happened. So according to Boris, not even going to attempt that last name, according to Boris, who is one of the medical examiners on the case, the force required to cause such damage would have been extremely high, compared that compared to a high-speed car crash. Oh, shit. <gasps> oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. You good? Okay. Things started clicking in my head. Doesn't happen often. Let's see. Notably, the bodies had no external wounds associated with the bone fractures as if they had been subjected to a high level of pressure. Ah. And the four bodies that were found close to the creek had soft tissue damage to their head and face. For example, one was missing her tongue, eyes, part of her lips, as well as facial tissue and a fragment of skull bone. Well, fuck. One was missing his eyebrows, and the other was missing his eyeballs. Animals? Yes. (laughs) 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 Sorry, I'm just going to, like, stop telling your story now. No, no. No, it's fine. Okay. Um, Vaz Razdini, who is a forensic expert who was also helping perform the post-mortem examinations, judged that these injuries had happened post-mortem, and they believe that they were due to scavenging animals. That makes the most sense. I agree with him. So the initial speculation of what happened to these hikers was that the Monsi people, who were reindeer herders who were local to the area, had attacked and murdered the group for encroaching upon their lands. So several of the tribes people were interrogated. Did I say that right? Interrogated? Yeah. It didn't sound right coming out of my mouth. <laughs> it's like, that's a big word. I love you. You said it correctly? Surely that's not correct. Um, so several of them were interrogated, but the investigation indicated 
that the nature of the deaths did not support burner. Only the hikers' footprints were visible, and they showed no sign of a struggle. If they were if they were trying to attack them, like why would why would they need? Uh, I don't know. That just doesn't seem like it would add up. No, and it didn't. That was just one of the first theories of what could have happened to cause them to scatter. And also, the tent was ripped open from the inside. The inside. Yeah. And so, after the interrogation and looking into it a little bit further, that was quickly dismissed. But that was one of the initial thoughts. Although the temperature was very low around negative 25 to negative 30 degrees Celsius or 13 to 22 degrees Fahrenheit. Negative 13 to 22. Was that in Kelvin? (sighs) The bonus Jonas who did make an appearance in this story? Um, he, he declines to comment today, but what, what was it in Celsius? Uh, between negative 25 to negative 30. So about 243.15 Kelvin. Uh Uh-huh. Jesus. Tell me you had a camera or not camera. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) You like to look at yourself when you're being smart. Please tell me you had a calculator open. (laughs) It's 273.15 minus 30. Okay. (laughs) So you take 273.15 and subtract what it is in Celsius. Well, you add whatever it is in Celsius. If it's negative Celsius, you add the negative number. Uh huh. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) you're you're doing great. Thank you. Doing great. I really appreciate it. But having said negative thirteen to twenty-seven, I think you said for Fahrenheit, that can f right off. I don't like Um, that. Yes. You say that anything below sixty. Choosing to go up into a mountain where it only gets colder. No. No. Uh -uh. Yellow bananas. Nope. So here's what we know to be sure at this time. Six of the group's members died of hypothermia and three were officially written. I was about to say written off. Dear God. Oh, no. Cause of death was written as fatal injuries. Okay. There were no indications of any other people nearby. The tent had been ripped from the inside out. They were believed to have died six to eight hours after their last meal. Traces around the camp showed that all of the group members left the campsite on their own accord on foot. On Of their own accord. So, like, there was nobody forcing them. It doesn't appear that anyone was drug, dragged or, like, forcibly removed. It looked like Got nine it. sets of footprints Got going it. Okay. out from the campsite. Could they have been thrown? They could have but been thrown. They would have had footprints. I didn't say how closely the footprints started to the campsite. And there was also, by the time they got to them, there was also additional snowfall. So it could have covered some evidence. There were some levels of radiation that were found on one of the victim's clothing. Like normal amounts of radiation or? Well, if it was picked up on them after. Were these college students? Yes. Was one of them doing research that involved that? I don't know. It was an alien. (gasps) Oh, oh, okay. Oh, my God. (laughs) I didn't even think about aliens being the culprit of this. Oh, shit. I'm here for it. All of it. Oh, except for people dying. I'm really sad about that part. (laughs) I can tell. You sound just brokenhearted. I really am. I'm sorry. So the initial documents that were released after the initial investigation was concluded did not contain any information about the condition of the skier's internal organs. And of course, as we know, there were no survivors. 
So the investigation officially ceased in May of 1959 as a result of absence of a guilty party. And the files were sent to a secret archive. <gasps> Do we have them now? They have become available. <coughs> so there are a couple, of course, myriad of theories of what happened to these people. Aliens, yetis, a lover's quarrel. There were a couple talks of possibly a thruple between the group but of course none of that could be proved i'm not diving into the aliens and yetis portion damn it woman well it's all speculation i read a couple of them and it's all basically just people being like yeah but it could be so i didn't really find any good stories on that and i found an even better story which rebecca will be happy it's actually backed by science yay so that's the route i'm taking got it okay well that's the difference between your stories and mine and I researched (laughs) two of the more plausible theories which have been proven to not necessarily be the case is infrasound please explain a hypothesis popularized by Donnie Eckers 2013 book Dead Mountain is that wind going around Kohat Sakal which is the mountain peak where they were found created a vortex street which can produce an infrasound capable of inducing panic attacks in humans oh has, has that been proven to happen infrasound is a highly researched thing that doesn't answer my question infrasound is a highly researched thing <laughs> According to his theory, the infrasound generated by the wind as it passed over the top of the mountains was responsible for causing physical discomfort and mental distress in the hikers. He claims that because of their panic, the hikers would have been driven to leave the tent by whatever means necessary and fled down the slope. By the time they were further down the hill, they would have been out of the infrasound's path and would have regained their composure, but in the darkness would have been unable to return to their shelter. Okay, that makes sense and then um his theory for the injuries is basically just saying with it being dark and them being disoriented that they could have fallen or run into each other or you know just in the struggle of trying to get away from what was basically driving them crazy they could have hurt themselves so that was a theory i mean it sounds pretty good i'm sure once you like dig into it there may be holes but i I mean that sounds good to me i just have a hard time believing that like wind and i mean i guess it could being in that remote of an area but wind could make a sound that would drive you crazy i say that and then my kid has a toy that makes too much noise and i'm like i mean whenever somebody breathes too loud or chews with their mouth open or has any kind of asmr i lose my ever loving mind so i could see it fair enough but to all nine of them that would have that it's effect. russian wind it, it it's gets russian wind <laughs> it's different am i wrong i'm russian yes. wind i'm not like regular wind i'm, I'm russian, russian wind, wind. <laughs> so another one is military testing one speculation says the campsite fell within the path of a soviet parachute mine exercise And the theory alleges that the hikers, woken by loud explosions, fled the tent in a panic and found themselves (laughs) found themselves unable to return to their campsite. Some members froze to death attempting to endure the bombardment, and others commandeered their clothing only to be fatally injured by subsequent parachute mine concussions. Wait, mine? Like, M-I-N-E concussions? Yes. Like, not... M-I-M-E concussions. I heard, <laughs> no, I was thinking M-I-N-D, 
concussion. I was like, oh, no, mine. Like parachuting mines into areas to test them. What kind of evidence is there that there were mines? There are records of parachute mines being tested by the Soviet military in the area around the time that the hikers were there. They detonate while still in the air rather than upon striking the Earth's surface and produce signature injuries similar to those experienced by the hikers, but heavy internal damage with relatively little external trauma. Huh. Weird. So the theory coincides with reported sightings of glowing orange orbs floating or falling in the sky within the general vicinity of the hikers. Some speculate that the bodies were unnaturally manipulated on the basis of the liver mortis markings discovered during the autopsy, as well as burns to the hair and skin. A similar theory alleges that the testing of radiological weapons and is based partly on the discovery of radioactivity on some of their clothing, as well as descriptions of the bodies having orange skin and gray hair. But I couldn't find any actual documentation of anyone saying that any of the survivors or not survivors excuse me victims had orange skin and gray hair it was just in this theory option well see like my question there is were there high levels of radiation when they found them no is there anything nearby that would produce high levels of radiation no um uh, no no However, and also radioactive dispersal would have affected all of them, not just some of them. Radioactive dispersal would have affected all, not just some of the hikers, as well as the equipment and everything else in the area. Like it would have been if there was any type of radioactive weapons, that whole area would have been bananas. And the question about their skin and hair and everything looking a little bit different, their bodies were in the freezing cold for months. So the natural mummification process started to take place. So of course they're not going to look like a corpse who is being laid to rest within a, you know, time frame that was not exposed to the elements. So all of those theories had pretty much been debunked. People still go back and forth to them. And finally, in February 2019, the authorities reopened the investigation, although they were only allowing three possible explanations to be considered. So, of course, when they found out it was being reopened, everybody was like, it's this, it's this, it's this. This is what you need to look into. But the three main things that they fell on were an avalanche, a slab avalanche, or a hurricane. Oh, I heard the hurricane one. And the possibility of any type of crime or human interaction had been discounted. So they weren't even taking any of those possibilities into effect. Quick question. Yes. Why wasn't an avalanche considered in the first place since they were in the mountains of Russia? We'll get to it. Okay. Hold on. Holding. On July 11th, 2020, Andrei Kurikov, the deputy head of the Uralis Federal District Directorate of the Prosecutor General's Office nailed it. Announced an avalanche to be the quote official cause of death for the Dyatlov group in 1959. A study by Johan Gom, head of the Snow and Avalanche Simulation Laboratory at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. Did you know there's such a thing? I didn't. But now you do. I did. And Alexander Poutrine, a geotechnical engineer at ETH Zurich suggests that a small but deadly slab avalanche occurred while the hikers were sleeping. Unlike the typical snow avalanches, a slab avalanche is when a large block of ice slides down a slope. 
Such a slab could crush part of the hiker's tent, injuring them and forcing them to flee. So while an avalanche... Avalanche. Girl, your accent is kicking today. It's all of the foreign words I'm trying to say. My body's like, I don't understand. This default speaking Southern. So while an avalanche seems like the obvious explanation, it was considered unlikely for years. Quote, there were several issues with that theory, said Poutrine. For one, the rescue team did not have any evidence that an avalanche had occurred and it hadn't snowed that night, which is generally what kickstarts an avalanche. More importantly, the angle of the slope on which the hikers pitched their tent wasn't steep enough for a snow slide. Avalanches typically happen on slopes of at least 30 degrees. Also, the injuries that they had were not comparable to those that are generally obtained in an avalanche. You mean like the force of a car accident without there being a car? Yes, but an avalanche, generally the cause of death from an avalanche is suffocation. Or hypothermia. So for them to have these injuries, if they had actually been affected by the avalanche, something else had to have happened as far as this original theory went that disproved an avalanche. Because whether they occurred from the initial something or if it was, you know, avalanche happened and then they ran off and got injured. But the injuries, that was one of their main points of it not being an avalanche is that the injuries could not have happened because of an avalanche. Does that make sense? I mean, it does, but I think avalanche is still a plausible reason, which you will get to. I will. I'm getting there now. Are you? (laughs) It turns out, in order to prove your theories that no one wants to listen to, you have to reach out to some odd sources. While trying to come up with a way to model what the avalanche could have looked like, Gohm was struck with a revelation while watching Frozen and how impressed he was with the accuracy of the snow effects. So, he reached out to the Disney animators to assist him in creating a simulation to test the avalanche simulation model and the impact that it could have on the human body. I love this so much. To model what injuries from a slab avalanche would look like, Gohm and Poutrine borrowed data from the automotive industry. In the 1970s, GM took 100 cadavers. cadavers. Oh my god, <laughs> child. bum ba Cadaver. <laughs> cadaver. A hundred cadavers. In the 1970s, GM took a hundred cadavers and hit them with various blocks of different masses at different velocities to model car crashers. Crashers. Fuck. <laughs> to model car crashes. All of these have to stay in. So just add to the list of that B word that I can't say. Cadavers. Those injuries would be similar to the ones of the hikers. However, the researchers worked out a theory. The hikers had cut into the mountain to create a flat surface for the tent. But the slope where they were camping concealed a bit of terrain that was steeper than it seemed, which would enable an overlying slab to slough off in the right conditions. Poutrine's mathematical model suggests that if enough snow had accumulated on the slope above the tent, a slab could have indeed broken off and slid down. Given the weather records showing that it hadn't snowed that night, the extra snow would have come from strong catabatic winds which are basically just like fast flowing funnels of Mm -hmm. air that just push like a section forward out of nowhere. And so basically it would have been like somebody just shoveling snow from one place and 
tossing it onto the slope above where the tent was. That makes sense. Hmm. So the winds likely blew snow down the mountain where it accumulated on the slope above the tent. Quote, at a certain point, a crack could have formed and propagated, causing the 16-foot snow slab weighing around 660 pounds to release. If they didn't make the cut, so if they hadn't cut into the mountain, nothing would have happened. But if not for this strong wind and special topography, it wouldn't have failed and they would have woken up and become grandmothers and grandfathers. Oh, now that, why do you have to add that? That was just a sad note to add at the end to a sad story. Yeah, it no was kidding. Poutrine, it wasn't me. I didn't say it. Yeah, but you had to repeat it. It's fine. It's not. I, it is. It wouldn't be me. I got to make you sad somehow. That's <laughs> fair. So, again, as far as the injuries grow, go and them not being comparable to the victims of an avalanche, uh, he said, it's a different story if you're sleeping on the floor of the tent on top of your skis and a 660-pound block of snow lands on top of you. The injuries would have been serious, but not immediately fatal. And that explains how not all nine were able to leave the tent. They would have had time to cut themselves from the tent and attempt to seek shelter elsewhere. Injured and confused and exposed to the elements, it makes sense they would have been scattered around the campsite before they succumbed to their injuries or the cold. The snow that fell after the avalanche and before the search and rescue team could arrive could have disguised any immediate evidence that an avalanche had even occurred. And the radioactivity found on their clothes was likely due to the type of oil that they used in their lanterns. Oh. Oh. Did wait. Oh. Oh. Uh, oh, oh. I was about to ask a really stupid question, but um, yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, this so, is cool. <laughs> their final notes, quote, we do not claim to have solved the Dyatlov Pass mystery as no one survived to tell the story, says Gom. But we'd show the plausibility of the avalanche hypothesis for the first time. And then from Poutrine, quote, none of this was the hiker's fault. It was the product of compounding coincidences. Had the hikers chiseled away at the mountain slope in a different spot, or the wind had been weaker, there wouldn't have been an avalanche. When the hikers decided to go to the forest, they took care of their injured friends, and no one was left behind. I think this is a great story of courage and friendship in the face of a brutal force of nature. Oh, Is that better? Oh. Is that a better one to end on than the grandmas and grandpas? I mean, it is, but it's also really sad. Like, couldn't you just been like, just kidding, everybody lived? <laughs> that case, this case would not have worked that way, my love. She started the story with nine people die. <laughs> Fair. She did uh, give me a warning. You asked. Rebecca asked. And if anyone is interested, which I know there's at least two of you who are, Rebecca, I'll send you the link. Um, <laughs> there's an article on nature.com that has all of the math equations and the diagrams and all of the... The important stuff. Hubbubble blue of how they figured everything out. And when I looked at it, I basically felt like that meme where she's looking around and all the numbers floating around her head. So I found a different <laughs> article. <laughs> but I knew somebody out there would like it. That's my girl. So that's it. And that is how uh, Frozen could have potentially helped solve the 
60-year-old mystery of the Dyatlov Pass. Look, I love that movie and the follow-up movie. I fully support Frozen solving all the problems in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to give credit because I got the Frozen information from the YouTuber who does the videos called Ask a Mortician. And oh. we'll have her video linked. But she uh, brought this to light for me and her video was hilarious. So you should check it out. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing that to people's attention. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it was an experience. I got real sad. <laughs> <laughs> Summary is of that, all of Ashley's episodes. That's what to say. Is that your Yelp review? <laughs> episodes? I thoroughly enjoyed it. I got real sad. Yeah. Next week. Yeah. Next week won't be nearly as sad. So it's fine. Perfect. Well, this is why we balance each other out. Absolutely. And on that note, remember, friends, everyone has something that they find odd. Let us tell you why sometimes it's not. If you have any questionable topics you'd like us to discuss, you can share them with us on any of our social media. Links can be found on the website, theladiesestrange.com, or you can email them to us at theladiesestrange at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you think we're doing a great job and want to support the show, please tell your friends about us or subscribe, rate, and review. We'd greatly appreciate it. We love you. Happy thoughts. Keep it strange, lovelies. Goodbye. Don't go hiking in the snow. Ew, I was yeah. about to say, which shouldn't be a problem right now, but apparently it is. So just, just hold off on the hiking thing. Yeah.